Hebrews chapter 6. If you have been reading uh, the book of Hebrews, I want to encourage you to keep it up and uh, keep on reading through it. Uh, it'll be healthy for you to uh, read through this book uh, more than almost any other book in the scriptures. It really uh, helps us better understand who our Savior is, who our Christ is. And uh, so I want to encourage you to be reading through that. And uh, do I not have a mic now? I can't hear it, Joe. There we go. And uh, so I want to encourage you to read through the book of Hebrews, if you would. Uh, beginning in verse 9 and reading on through verse 20 is where we are uh, today. Uh, when you go through the book of Hebrews, you're dealing with a situation where you have a, a people that wanted to go back into a sacrificial system. Uh, they had learned of Christ, they had learned about Him, and uh, yet they wanted something visible, something that they could actually physically see, and so they desired almost to go back into sacrificing because it was something they could actually do, whereas uh, the writer of Hebrews is teaching them that you have something better, you have a better covenant, there's a New Testament covenant, there's a covenant that's been given, and the price has been paid by Jesus Christ, and He is the covenant of the New Testament. And so there's no need to go and make these sacrifices anymore. Yet, some of the people wanted to go backwards and go and do these types of things. And so Paul said uh, last week, he said, let's go on uh, to maturity. He wants us to mature in our Christian life. It goes beyond the ABCs of your Christian life. Just learning those fundamentals is important and understanding that you need to be saved, you need to be baptized, that you need to be uh, serving the Lord, that you need to be part of a local church, and that you understand the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that you understand the eternal judgments that are to come. Those are the basics. Those are the principles. And he said, we need to move on from that now. And so you say, well, what's moving on from that? That's learning to take your Christianity now and serve with your Christianity, to go out and win the lost and to do those things that are necessary to take your uh, Christianity out for others to see. So you're moving on beyond the ABCs. You're maturing in your Christian life. So if we could, I want us to look at Hebrews chapter 6, verses 9 through 20. Can we all stand if you're capable this morning? I'm going to begin reading in verse 9, and we'll read on through verse 20. The Bible, starting in verse 9 of Hebrews chapter 6, says, But, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you, and the things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God had made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise." For men verily swear by the uh, greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, willing uh, more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which he, it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have uh, fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into the, uh, that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Let's if you're saved, that means that you personally trusted Jesus Christ to take your soul to heaven, so when you physically pass on from this earth, you and that life eternal is in heaven with Jesus Christ. 
What we find in these passages is just such an amazing set of words given to us by God about uh, where, what, what takes place and what anchors our soul and where uh, we're headed for and what, what God has in store for us, yet future for some of us, uh, but nevertheless it's ours as saved people. Uh, God has already committed those things to us. He has promised us that, and that promise that He made, He made it through His Son, Jesus Christ. And He swore by that oath, and He swore by Himself, Swear by no greater. So therefore, us an oath. In other words, he gave us a promise that he will not fail us in that promise. If you go through the scriptures and you read and you study, you begin to understand there's a lot of things that God has already fulfilled. His word, God's word will not fail, nor will God fail us. So he'll fulfill everything that he says. Every believer should have this confidence that your soul is set for eternity in a place called heaven. Uh, when you get saved, there's a, a surety that comes along with that. There's an assurance. There are churches this morning that's going to be preaching out of the Bible. They're going to teach people that you have to do something to earn your way to heaven. They're going to teach them things that are contrary to truth. But the truth of the matter is, is to be saved, you've got to trust Jesus Christ. There is no other way to get into heaven. In fact, God said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Those are the words that Christ spoke. When man teaches that there's an, an additional thing that you must do, or there's something else that you have to accomplish, or there's something that you must be able to do to get into heaven, that is false doctrine. That is teaching you something that is not true. And so when we read these passages, we've got to understand every believer should have a confidence. What is that confidence? That my confidence is in what Christ did for me, not anything I'm doing for myself. Not anything I can do, but what he's already accomplished for me. So a place that has been bought and paid for through your Savior, Jesus Christ, who's in heaven. And the wonderful thing about it is, is Jesus hasn't stopped working because he went back to heaven. Jesus is interceding on our behalf. What a great Savior we have. Amen. He's sitting there in heaven working on our behalf. You say, what do you mean he's interceding? Well, we still sin as believers, do we not? And he tells us if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus Christ is there as we come to God and confess our sins. Jesus Christ is there to say, listen, my blood has been shed for this soul, Lord. And what you see is not their sin, but you see my shed blood. He's interceding on our behalf. What a great Savior we have. Amen. And so we're anchored heavenward. When I look at this, heaven speaks of streets of gold. Amen. How about that? I don't have a street of gold at my house, amen? But heaven speaks of streets of gold. Heaven speaks of thrones. Heaven speaks and you look and there's jaspers and there's, and there's a sea of crystal. And, and you look at those things and you say, I'm getting chills down my spine now thinking, I, I, I have no... Can you imagine when you open your eyes and you're there, what is going to be in our presence? And you know, most of all, I get to see my Savior, the one who died for my sin, amen? amen. And, and he'll be there for me, and on my behalf, he'll be there, and, and I'll see my Savior. I'm thinking, what kind of place is this? And many in the world today may ask, why should I believe you? I don't want you to believe me. I want you to believe God, amen? I want you to believe Jesus Christ. Take the time to read Most people that deny that he exists have never really sat down and given time to the Word of God. I say most. There are some who have and their eyes are blinded and their soul is blind and they cannot see the truth that lie before them in the scriptures. There was a gentleman, his name is Jonathan Cain. He used to play in a rock band and uh, it was called Journey and Jonathan Cain ended up getting saved. 
He made a Christmas album this year, and if you listen to it, he's talking about what Jesus Christ did on the cross. There is a man whose eyes have been blinded for what? Years, and all of a sudden, God opened his eyes. By the way, his bandmates are angry at him, and they're kicking him out. (laughs) They want no part of him now. Why? Because their eyes are still what? Blinded by what he saw. He saw Jesus Christ and realized without him, he was going to die and go to hell. Now, if you listen to the words to some of the songs that he's written, you listen to it and he understands that doctrine. He understands that if he has not Christ, he's going to die and go to hell, but he understands that he's trusted Christ as his Savior. Now, as I think about this, heaven is a place of gold and thrones and jaspers and rainbows and emeralds and seas of glass and mansions. Oh, you know, I can't afford a mansion. I hear. I, I, Interceding on my behalf, I'm asking you, do you think our Lord is busy? Do you think Jesus Christ is busy for us? Do you think He's working on some things for us? When you consider all the saved that go to Him in prayer and Jesus is there interceding on their behalf, do you think our Lord has some things to do? And yet it tells us in heaven that He's building a mansion for us. And I want you to consider what you're going to have when you get to heaven. And this is all because you've trusted Christ and your soul is anchored heavenward. Amen? And it's not something we're striving to get, it's something that is. So is your soul anchored in Jesus Christ the Savior? You have an anchor, and the Bible says that it's sure, and that that what we have is that sure and steadfast. It's unmovable, it's there. And so what he's telling us is is our soul is anchored there, and this is why I want you to understand, once saved, you have trusted Christ as your Savior, you're anchored to Christ, amen? You don't get unanchored from Christ. It's a, it is a sure thing that you now have. So as we come into the Scriptures, he begins to tell us some promises that he provides to all those who believe in Jesus Christ. One of the things is the inheritance in our soul, the hope that we have with our soul, and the anchor of our soul. He gives us these three promises about our soul, what's going to happen, what is happening, and what is going to happen. And so I want you to look at the inheritance of promise. He says in verse 9, But beloved... We're persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. The inheritance of promise, the things that accompany salvation go back to the fruitfulness of the believer found in verse 7. Look at verse 7. It says, For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it and bringeth forth herbs meat for them by whom it is dressed receiveth blessing from God. Now I want you to understand this. A field proves its worth. Now we have farmers in here and you know talking about. A field proves its worth. When, once you plant the stuff and you put it out there, if the, if the soil is no good and it produced nothing, is it worth cultivating constantly? And, and you say to yourself, a field proves its worth. If a field proves its worth, whenever I plant something, I expect a harvest, don't I? I expect once I plant those things, I expect to take a harvest from that. And when we consider this, a field proves its worth by what it produces, and Christians are to be in the fruit-bearing business. Bible teaches us that. As a Christian who is anchored heavenward in Christ Jesus, we ourselves are anchored to Him. For what we should be is a field that proves itself. We ought to become fruitful and not fruitless as a, as a Christian. As we look at this, bearing uh, fruit should be our business. As we mature, making spiritual progress, we're to bear fruit. Now, are we to do it so that we can glory in it or bask in it? Absolutely not. Bear fruit so that we might give God the glory for what he's accomplishing. 
Now I want you to turn to a passage with me. Turn to Matthew 13 with me. Turn to Matthew 13. Matthew 13. Look at verse 23 with me, if you will. The Bible says, But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word. Let me say it again. But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the what? Now that word heareth is so important. You ought to write in your margin this. It's listening with a view to obedience. He heareth the word. Now watch this. It says, but he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and does something. What does he do? He understandeth it. In other words, he's taking it in, but something that he's capable of doing is what? Understanding what it says, which also bear what? It beareth fruit and bringeth forth some hundredfold and some sixty and some thirty. Here's the idea. That passage teaches us that as a saved individual, I should be a fruit-bearing seed. I should, at some point, be cultivating relationships and cultivating relationships with others and cultivating that in my community and in my church and building on that. And as I do, God says, fruit will come forth from that. Now, as I share this with you, uh, by the way, uh, Brother Darrell, I just wanted to mention to you, uh, you had guests Wednesday night. And I was grateful for that. What that is, is that he's talking about his faith to someone else. And we had a guest as a result of Brother Daryl inviting someone to church. Is that not bearing fruit? Help me out here, folks. Is that not bearing fruit? He invited somebody and they came, right? So he's trying to do this. All I'm sharing with you is we all have that opportunity every day. We all have that opportunity to share with someone that we have services and these are the times of those services and, and, and we can bear fruit. Now... It goes beyond that because when they came, then the Gospels preached. So I want to ask you something. <laughs> if that person were unsaved that came, by the way, they weren't, they were saved, but if that person were unsaved and got saved in that service, <laughs> whose account would that go to? Brother Daryl? It goes on his account. Why? He's bearing fruit for what? For the glory of the Lord. Now, Brother Daryl didn't ask me to say that this morning. I'm not trying to just lift Brother Daryl up. I'm just simply saying he did something, not looking for someone to say, hey, Brother Daryl, <laughs> he just invited somebody. And by the way, they showed up. Now, why am I sharing that with you? The things that accompany salvation through our labor of love uh, and, and ministering and ministering to the saints is what we should do, and we should continue to do that. But God's not going to forget. <laughs> Are you with me? He doesn't forget what you do. And, and, and when you look at this passage, he said, for God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. He's not going to forget what you've done. And sometimes we think we have to have self-promotion because, <laughs> oh, somebody's going to forget what I did. No, 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 no. Let God handle that. And God will remember what, what's happened. Uh, because you love the Lord, you labor and be mindful that God does not forget and knows those who labor because they love Him. That's why you do it. You labor because you love the Lord. 
You do those things because you love God. And so therefore, you bring forth fruit. Our salvation is accompanied by ministering or being an attendant, waiting upon others as a host or a friend, or to act as the Christian deacon is the idea that, that we do these types of things. And so what's accompanying salvation? He's saying, listen, we, we let us go on. We're maturing now. We're moving on. We understand the ABCs of our Christian faith. Now what we have to do is move beyond that. And moving beyond that is, is now we're getting to the place where we're taking those things which accompany salvation, and that is service unto the Lord and giving God the glory for those things which occur. Amen? Moving on. Moving on. Now, the concern here is not to rest upon past achievements, but to press on to full maturity. Sometimes we like to rest on what has happened, not what on, on what's happening. We want to live in the past and not in the present. By the way, that's wrong for two reasons. The past isn't going to bring you current glory, amen? And the past is not going to help you move forward. What you have to do is you have to put those things behind you. In fact, the scriptures teach us putting those things behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before uh, listen, I press toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You press on, you can't live in the past. And so the Bible teaches us that there's this promise, this inherited promise, and, and we are to serve the Lord and to labor diligently. But here's the idea, having complete confidence with anticipation and expectation continually that God is going to do something. How many of you prayed and thought this morning, I'm praying someone come to church and get saved this morning? I'm just praying God do that. I mean, that was my prayer this morning. I'm just telling you, I prayed that somebody gets saved this morning. Why? I'm expecting God to do something. And all of us, all of us should expect God to do something. Every day of our lives, we should be expecting God to do something. I, I went to uh, my brother's house for Thanksgiving uh, dinner, and as we're down there, I've been praying for my brother-in-law. I've been praying for uh, my sister-in-law and and, and uh, after we left, my brother called me and he said, hey, he said, I want to tell you something. He said, I spoke to Steve. Steve told me that he got saved when he was little and he got baptized when he was little. He said, but I'm still working on him. <laughs> and see, you, you look for what in a Christian's life? What are you looking for in a Christian's life? Go ahead, Chris, say it real loud. You're looking for what? You're looking for fruit. If you see no fruit, what do you start to consider? And you start to say, if there's no fruit in their lives at all, nothing, nothing fruitful coming out of it, and, and, and there's no desire, no service to God, what do you think? Now, I'm not God, but I will tell you this, as James teaches us, if there's no, if there's no fire in the fireplace, there won't be any smoke in the chimney, right? right? And James pretty much teaches us that. But if there's a fire in the fireplace, sure enough, there's obviously smoke coming out of the chimney often. And so what I'm sharing with you is, is that folks sometimes will know something, but not really have that relationship. They just know the information. Now, here's the challenge. The inherited promises are given to us to serve the Lord, to labor diligently, having complete confidence with anticipation and expectation. It's an honor and a privilege to serve the Lord, folks. It just is. It's an honor and a privilege to serve God. In whatever capacity you do it, it's an honor to serve Him. Whatever God has called you to do, put your hands to it. Amen? And do it as unto the Lord. Do those things that God has called you to. And what a joy it is to serve the Lord. And as we look into this, it's an honor and a privilege to serve Him. And, and through that service, what happens is it encompasses serving others. That's when difficulties come in. Because people are different, are they not? All kinds of people are very different in nature. And, and being so different sometimes, 
uh, it causes conflict or it causes problems or it causes situations. But here's the thing. We can come back to that anchor that has our soul. And we need to work out those differences. We need to work through those differences. When I, when I think about this, it's an honor and a privilege to serve Him, but it encompasses serving others. And this is why we're told not to be lazy but strong in our faith. He comes in and he says in verse 11 of chapter 6, And we desire that every one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not, what? Slothful. Don't be slothful in your, in your Christian life. Don't be lazy in your Christian life. You say, well, what's the difference uh, if I come to church and I sit through a service? I've done my part. We need to move on from our A, B, what? We need to move on from our ABCs. We need to find some level or some capacity that God desires for us to serve in. And listen, regardless of what He calls you to, just serve. Serve the Lord and do it as unto the Lord. And so we talk about this inherited promise. We're told not to be lazy but strong in our faith that the Lord is not unrighteous. He'll never forget what you do. Trust me, He'll never forget it. And you say, Pastor, listen, I have witnessed and I have witnessed and I have witnessed and I've not won a soul to the Lord. Don't stop. Don't stop. Pray for that soul. Continue to witness. By the way, God sees your faithfulness. And here's the thing. Uh, when we look at Jeremiah's life, go back to Jeremiah's life. And, and you look at it, many will tell you that no one got saved under his ministry or no one really moved on because of his ministry. But I look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they were under his teaching. So they were able to handle those things. And Daniel as well, you look at that situation, they were under the teaching of Jeremiah. But the thing of it is, is we never really see in Jeremiah's life any fruit in that sense. But was Jeremiah doing what God had called him to do? You know, fruit bearing isn't always about what the visible eye can see. It's about, am I doing what the Lord has called me to do? Now, if we're serving and we're doing what we should, I'm certain God brings forth fruit. I tell you that I see in Jeremiah's life that I actually see fruit because I see Daniel and I see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I see those fellows and I see their service unto the Lord even in a foreign field. And so they continue to serve God. Now, as we look at this, I want you to turn to 2 Peter. I want you to see something about what God promises us. And when we have an inheritance, it's a sure thing. It's not a hope. Uh, boy, I hope this works out or I hope this does uh, well. It is a true, true promise from God. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. If you're with me, say amen. The Lord is not slack concerning His what? God's not slack. In other words, God's not like man. Have you ever had someone make a promise to you? They said, oh, oh, and you'd never see them? That's rough sometimes, isn't it? You know when it's the hardest is when it's family, right? <laughs> when they say they're going to pull through for you and they don't. That's tough, isn't it? And, and, and the thing of it is, is that someone makes an earthly promise, right? They swear by themselves, I promise you, I'll be there. What are they swearing by? Their own oath, right? See, when God swore by an oath, he could swear by no what? Greater, could he? He's going to fulfill his promise. Now watch this passage. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. In other words, people want to turn to God and say, well, he hadn't come yet, so he's not going to come. God, God just isn't fulfilling his promise. God is, is not doing what he should be doing. And so therefore, God's not fulfilling his promise. And the Bible says, hey, listen, don't count God slack the way you count men slack. Amen? Because it's different. Here's why. God is being patient with us, but is long-suffering to usward, 
Now, to us word means to all, doesn't it? It means all that are out there. He's being very generous. He's being very patient. That idea of long-suffering is he's waiting this thing out. Not that he could not fulfill his promise at, at, at just a moment, but the fact is, is he's being patient. And he said, don't count slackness toward God like you count slackness toward man, that he's not going to fulfill his promise. He will do this. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why is God holding back his wrath? He wants man to be what? Saved. He wants folks to get saved. Let me give you this verse. You don't have to turn there. Isaiah 30 and verse 18. You write it down. You check me out later. And therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you. You know, what a beautiful passage. And he goes on, he says, And therefore will be exalted, that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for him. Now, when I look at this passage, And therefore will the Lord wait, that he may be gracious unto you. I wonder how many times I deserve the wrath of God, and God, through his grace, was patient with me and didn't give me what I deserved. He showed his mercy toward me, didn't he? And I, I look at that sometimes, and I wonder the mercy that he showed. You say, what's the inherited promise you're talking about? All those things. Things that he gives us that we do not deserve, his grace and his mercy. We're moving on. We're moving on from those basic things, and we're seeing as we go out and we serve and we serve the Lord, yeah, there's going to be people that take advantage of you. There's going to be people that lie about you. There's going to be people that say things about you that are absolutely untrue. But we need to have patience, and we need to be long-suffering. And what we need to do is say, okay, I'm going to continue to serve the Lord regardless of what those things are that are said and regardless of those things that are done because I will wait upon the Lord. Now you're able to inherit the promise. Now as a minister of Christ Jesus, you're provided a promise that enriches your soul. It's the ability to take that which accompanies salvation and let it bear fruit for the name of our Savior. You know, when your soul's anchored in Christ, you have a heart to serve. When your soul is anchored to Christ, you'll have a heart to serve. You'll want to do something for God. As I said in James, he tells us, listen, if you're saved, you'll want to do something for the Lord. You'll, you'll desire to want to do something for God. And so I believe with all of my heart in this present world, if you're saved, you'll have a desire to serve God. Now the other thing is, is to wait upon the Lord. It's to be done with confidence. Look at verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 6. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so, after he had patiently endured, you ought to underline that in your Bible, he obtained the promise. He goes on and says, For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. In verse 17, Wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto you the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. The writer now helps us better understand how much confidence we're to have as we wait upon the Lord. I want to share something with you this morning. As, as a saved individual, you need to have great confidence in God. Great confidence in the Lord. God is a solid rock. And if we're anchored to Christ, listen, folks, we have nothing to be concerned about. Amen? Even in death, we have eternal life. Amen? We're not going to die and go to a place called hell if you're saved. We're anchored to heaven. This is the confidence with which we work. 
with which we labor, which, with, with which we do things. We say to ourselves, okay, what is it that you're trying to teach us this morning? I want you to understand, you have a different kind of hope than the world has, amen? You have a different type of hope than the world has. The world is constantly in that hope-so kind of situation. We're not. We've inherited promises from God as a saved individual. And those inheritances that we've received give us the hope that we have. And the hope that we have has to be a hope of confidence. That confidence that we have is that I know that I'm serving my God and my God will not forget my labor of love. Amen? God's not going to forget me. God's not going to forget what I'm doing. And he knows the attitude and the spirit of my heart while I'm serving him. He knows whether I'm doing it for my own glory or whether I'm doing it for the glory of the Lord. And when I bear fruit as a field, I prove myself to, unto my Lord. I do those things. And let me tell you something. Proving yourself unto the Lord is not proving yourself unto men. Amen? It is letting yourself be tested unto the Lord. And when the Lord tests you, sometimes it's just not convenient. And when God tests you sometimes, it's just not working out how you thought it would work out. But I'm telling you, if you stay and stick with it, your soul is anchored unto heaven. Amen? And you should have a confidence in all that you do because you're serving God. You're serving the Lord Jesus Christ and not your own belly. You're serving God and you're doing those things sometimes that are just not convenient. But it is a hope that goes beyond that hope so. The teaching on the promise made to Abraham was to reinforce the confidence by which we can have hope. Hope that is confident because of the object of that hope. What is the object of your hope? What is the object of your faith? If it is in what you are accomplishing for Christ, it is misled. But if it is in Christ and you do the things that you do because you love Christ, you're on the right path. What I'm sharing with you this morning is have your focus in the right place. Because if it's about us, we're missing the boat. <laughs> we need to make sure that the things that we say and the things that we do are because we love the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're doing those things, not that we might get the accolades of men, but that we might give honor to Christ. The promise made to Abraham is to remind us that the Lord fulfilled his promise to Abraham and will fulfill his promise to us today. The promise that he made unto Abraham, he has fulfilled and will continue to fulfill those Every seed unto Abraham, amen? As the sand of the sea, as the stars of the sky, things we cannot count, God said this is unto Abraham. And I want you to understand, as we look into the scriptures, God has made a promise to us and he will fulfill it. Here's the promise he's made to you and me. If we trust his son Jesus Christ, whether we live now or die physically now, one thing for sure, heaven is our home. We can count on that look at that we understand the rapture then and listen those that have gone on before us if they pass away and they are in Christ Jesus we're not going to go before them they'll go before us but by the way we'll all go but you know Christ is your savior that is the hope that is the promise that he's made unto you and to me how is that promise fulfilled it's in Christ Jesus it's not about what we're doing it's about what he's done and what he is working on and what he's preparing for us and there is a day coming when God will reconcile all things unto himself that's the hope that we have and if I'm a child of God I'll be reconciled unto my savior I'll be in heaven with him now I want you to get a hold of this the two immutable or unchanging things about our savior he does not lie isn't that comforting when you read the Bible First thing is, is God doesn't lie. We can't find in the scriptures, and I've heard people say, well, you know the Bible contradicts itself. I've never had someone show me where it does. 
And I've asked people, not in, not in trying to be condescending toward them, but if it does, could you show me where the Bible contradicts itself? For I've placed my entire life and faith in this book. And when I say this book, I'm placing it in Christ Jesus. Amen? And so what I want you to think about is this. The Bible doesn't contradict itself, and it could not. Why? Because that would make God a what? And God cannot lie. And so here's the thing. If God made a promise to you and me by his oath, is he lying? Is he being slack? As men count slackness? Absolutely not. He wants us to endure through this hope. As I look at this, we see this, this hope that we're talking about here, this, this very, very powerful uh, comfort that he gives us. He tells us with this word hope, look at it uh, with me. He comes down and he makes this statement. Let me get to the verse here. And he says, the hope. Now look at that. He says, the hope. Not just any kind of hope, but the hope. The hope is a definite article, isn't it? When you think about hope, it's, it's something that's definite. It's not, man, I really hope this thing works out. Words are so important. The is a definite article. It means a different kind of hope, not the kind of hope that man has. And God won't lie. Just as he affirmed to Abraham, he's affirming to you and me that there is a confidence that you can have in this hope. He's given you that as a believer. When you got saved, the Holy Spirit now indwells you. He's in you. And with that should come a great confidence. You know what that confidence is? My soul is anchored heavenward. I am in Christ Jesus. I, I don't have to be concerned about whether heaven is my home. I know heaven is my home. And I don't have to be concerned about that. The two immutable things, unchanging, he does not lie and he has given us a very powerful comfort or consolation. And, and he says to this, we might have a strong consolation who have fled the refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us in verse 18. When I consider this, the word hope for us today is defined more like, well, that's wishful thinking. How many of you have had your children say, I hope I get this for Christmas? Right? That's wishful thinking. My son said he wants a 1957 Chevy fully restored. That's, a, that's what he wants for his first car. So I went, Brother Darrell, and bought a matchbox car about this big. I'm going to give it to him. Is he in here? Oh, he's sitting back. Man. So anyway, I was going to give him the keys to his 57 Chevy. That's called wishful thinking. I hope that happens. Well, you can hope. But a 1957 Chevy... Bel Air is not pulling up in the driveway. First of all, I can't even afford to look at them. Amen? So what I'm sharing with you is there's that thought of feelings and emotions and hope. And, and so an expectation, a desire for certain things to happen. Uh, you know, I, I, I've been this, and so I'm just hoping that that happens. That's not this hope. You see, the hopefulness of feeling that it may or may not be so, whereas for us, it should be confident knowledge in God's truth. Would you agree? It's not, man, I really hope that God really does come back, and I really hope that the rapture occurs, and man, I, I just feel like it should happen, and, and, I, and when I read, and I, I feel like, why would you be that way? <laughs> why would you not have confidence in Christ, confidence in God, knowing that this will happen? I want you to turn to John chapter 14 with me. John chapter 14. This strong consolation, this very powerful comfort that he gives us, this truth that he gives us to lay hold on. 
is that of the coming of Jesus Christ. John 14. When you're with me, say amen. Look at verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Isn't that a good verse? Sometimes, how many of you are anxious over stuff? Anybody? Anybody ever get anxious? I'm, I mean, I'm the only one I know. It tells us in the scriptures, you know, to, to be anxious for nothing, right? And, and, and so I look at that, and I'm saying, do you ever get anxious over stuff? And I look at this passage, and what is the words out of my Savior's mouth? Let not your heart be what? There it is. <laughs> Stop it if you are. He said, let not your heart be troubled. Now watch what he does. You believe in God, believe also in whom? He said, if you believe in God, believe in me. Don't let your heart get troubled over this. In my father's house are many mansions. <laughs> if it were not so, I would have told you. Now watch this. I go to prepare a place for you. I I'm amazed at this. He's telling us exactly what he's going to do for us, isn't he? He's telling us exactly what's going on. And here's the thing. Why let our hearts be troubled? How many of us have troubled souls? You lay down at night and, and, and you're more concerned about what happened that day or what's going to happen tomorrow that you even miss out on that private time that you could have with your Savior that could let not your heart be troubled. <laughs> Amen? And we do that. And we lay that head to the pillow and we're thinking about what did my boss mean by that this morning when he said that? Or, or, or I, I hope tomorrow that, that, and there's that hope so, I, I hope tomorrow have all this anxiety welling up inside of us. And I read this passage and he said, let not your heart be troubled. What are you worried about? If you believe in God, believe also in me. If we believe in Christ, we have a, not a hope so kind of faith, we have a no so kind of faith. We know that it's real. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. You ought to underline that in your Bible. He didn't say I might come again. He said, I will come again. God has told us in his word, Jesus is coming again. We sing the song. And, and if we really have confidence in God, why be anxious over the things of this world and the things of this earth? Let not your heart be troubled. I will come a what? Again, he's on his way. And receive unto you myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. And here comes Thomas. Now, we call him what? Doubting. Doubting Thomas. How many of us sitting in this room have been a doubting Thomas? We've doubted God. We've doubted his word. You say, can you believe Thomas? Ah, that's just absurd. Jesus was right there, and look what he did. Jesus is right here, and look what we do sometimes. He's in us. So I challenge you this morning when Thomas says, Thomas saith unto the Lord, we, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? <laughs> Jesus saith unto him, I am the way. There is no other way, is there? And the only way to get to heaven is through Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. What did he start off with? Let not your heart be troubled. He told us, I will come again. So what are, you, what are you so anxious about all the time? You know, I read this verse, and I wrote this down after I read it. And this was for myself. I, I, I'm sharing a personal moment with you as I was going into this. And I was reading these passages in John. 
And I wrote this down for myself. Live today, this moment, as if Jesus is coming. Live today, this moment, as if Jesus is coming. And I asked myself this question, what would you be like in attitude when he arrived? What would your attitude be like? What would my spirit be like? And what would you desire most of all to be like at that moment when he comes? And I'm talking to myself, folks. And I thought to myself, what would my attitude and my spirit be like if he were to come? If Jesus were to come right now. And so God pricked my heart. And I began to think about this for just a moment. When I look at this, what would you desire most of all? And then that desire that I had, I said, live like that now. Live like that right now. Why wait for tomorrow? <laughs> I have something in the back of my Bible here. We inherit Christ's wealth by faith, and we invest our wealth in Christ by our works. Without this balance, our spiritual riches do us no good. And then I wrote down, God, my Lord, my soul longs to be close to thee day and night. O Lord, my God, the desire of my heart is to know you more and to live true to thy words. God pricked my heart, and I said, are you living like that today? And I ask you, if he were to come, how are you living? Are you living that you have that confidence in the hope that he's providing? In that way where you're let not, in your, let not your heart be troubled. Think about this. In Romans 5, 5, and 6, in hope maketh not ashamed. When I read that passage and I ask myself this question, am I ashamed of the hope that lieth within me? Am I ashamed of what Christ has done on the cross for me? Am I ashamed of telling someone else about who he is? That hope that lieth within me. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Now consider this this morning in, in Romans 5. And hope, of, uh, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when ye were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. I was one of those people. <laughs> the ungodly, and yet Christ died for me. And so therefore, why would I be ashamed of the that lieth within me. By, by the way, the Holy Spirit doesn't want that. The Holy Spirit says, I came that I may testify of Christ. And if the Spirit of God reside in your hearts, then what should we be for our Savior? A testimony unto Him. The hope that lieth within us. So live out the hope that's present in your life. Show forth uh, that, that, that Spirit, that, that Holy Spirit, that Holy Ghost. Let the power of God work in your life. You say, Pastor, how do you do all of that? I'm not saying we do anything. I'm saying we let God have his way. Every day we can wake up and we can say, be not drunk with wine, which is an excess, but be filled with the what? Spirit. Let God have control today. Don't let anything else control you. Let God have control today. And live out the hope that is present in your life. You're assured heaven. You're assured that you can... Have a secure and stable faith in Christ. Look at verses 19 and 20, and we'll finish with this this morning. He says in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, he said, Which hope we have 
as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made in high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now the anchor of promise. When I look at this, we have a more, uh, we have, uh, when I look at the promise of God, we have more promises today than Abraham had in his day. Would you agree? And we have more promises fulfilled in our day than Abraham had fulfilled in his day. This should cause us to be more stable in our faith. This should cause us to have something that Abraham didn't have. Guess what Abraham didn't have? Abraham didn't have this, this way. We have the whole counsel of God. God would communicate with Abraham and give him those things. You talk about faith, amen? And he would say, okay, Abraham, and Abraham would say, okay, we have the written word of God, and how fruitless are we sometimes in our faith? As I look at this, we have more of God's promises than Abraham ever had, and this should be the basis for our progress in our Christian life. You know, when I look at those Old Testament saints, they used to run to those cities of refuge. We get to run to Jesus Christ in our sin, don't we? And, and you think about in their situations, they'd run to those cities of refuge, and maybe uh, it, they didn't uh, purposefully kill someone, but they nonetheless have killed someone, and for that manslaughter, they're, they're then sent off to this city of refuge, and they can stay there until the next high priest comes in, right? It's a city of refuge. I think that's a picture of what we can do in our sin. We can run to who? Christ, and we're safe, are we not? We can run unto Jesus. And I, and I look at this, and I think about this sure promise, and, and the spiritual anchor is very different than any material anchor. When you think about it, a lot of ships, they'll have anchors off, off the, uh, uh, the front of the ship and the rear of the ship. They'll have the anchors off, sometimes three, maybe four anchors to keep a ship stable in the water. Well, the analogy is, is that it keeps it stable, right? But how many times have you seen an anchor break loose and that ship go aground on the shore because the anchor broke loose? The analogy for all of us here is this one thing. Our anchor is sure and steadfast, amen? We're not anchored at multiple points. We're anchored one point. And when he talks about being steadfast and stable, he's talking about as he moves, we move, <laughs> amen? We're anchored to him, are we not? And so it's not the same idea as anchoring a ship uh, uh, in the ground at, at multiple points. It's that we're anchored heavenward, and that's where we have our faith. This spiritual anchor is very different than a material anchor, and the ship was anchored downward. But listen, it was anchored downward in multiple points, and yet God said through your salvation, you're anchored upward and to one point. What a great God we serve. When I look at this, he says this statement, he says, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. <laughs> it's not for the purpose of staying at a single point, but to move ahead in our Christian life. It's so that we don't slip, so that we stay anchored to Christ Jesus. This is something that an earthly anchor cannot do. But being anchored to the Savior is sure and steadfast. It's secure, it's stable. As you trust in the forerunner, when you look at that, you ought to underline that in your Bible, the forerunner. <laughs> The forerunner is the one that entered into the veil. He's the one that went before us. And you think about what is it that he actually did. You see, the priest could not go into the Holy of Holies, and he had to go by himself. And by the way, they used to put a little bell on his foot because if he went in and uh, had, had, had sinned and all that kind of stuff, they put a rope on him, they'd drag him back out because he, <laughs> he did something wrong. How about if that worked for us when we came to church, amen? 
Chris would be back there with a rope pulling us all out of here this morning, right? No, I'm just kidding, brother. <laughs> I know we'd be pulling you out. That's okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> but the idea is, is what would happen is, is that Jesus entered into the veil. He sprinkled his blood on the mercy seat so that now we can enter into the Holy of Holies. What a Savior. What did he do? Well, there was distance between God and man. Was there not? Not all men could enter into the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest could. Jesus opened that veil and he said, you may now enter in. We have a relationship with Christ, an anchor that is sure. You know, Melchizedek is just a picture of Christ. He had no record of his beginning and no record of his end. We know that he was a man. But the reason that they likened him unto Melchizedek is because Melchizedek was priest and king. And there's no record of his beginning. There's no record of his end. But what we find out is Jesus has always been. He's the alpha and what? Omega. He's the beginning and the end. So God uses Melchizedek as a, a picture of what Christ is to us. And when we look at this, Nobody could follow that high priest in there. In Hebrews 9, 7, he said, But into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. He went in ahead of that. So Jesus went in ahead of us, and he sprinkled his own blood. The sinless Lamb of God did that for you and for me, so that the people now could enter in to the Holy of Holies before our God. You know, I think about Christ now in heaven, and he opened that way. If you go back to the Old Testament, it talked about being without the camp. How many of you understand that? Lots of people put you without the camp. You were out there. There was problems. They would put you without the camp. When Christ died, I know we look at this, and to us as saved people, we look to the cross and we say, man, an honorable thing. No, it was a very dishonorable thing to be crucified. And by the way, they took him without the gates. They took him outside the camp. They took him to Golgotha. They took him to the place of skull to to crucify him. They took him without the camp. They did not leave him within. They took him without. And what Christ tells us is, listen, sometimes we have to go without the camp, but I want you to know you're within the veil when you do. <laughs> and you can go because I'm going before you. And we can go to a lost and dying world because of who Christ is. Because we can go without the camp, and we can go within the veil at the same time. Because that veil is Christ Jesus, amen? He is the place that we enter in. Now, when you consider this, this is exhorting or encouraging all of us to lay hold of the key lesson here as a believer to go on to maturity because Christ has made it possible for us to do this. He's made it possible. Folks, if you are saved, God the Holy Spirit is in you. He is in you. That is the anchor of our soul, you should be so assured of your faith and so assured of what your home is that it is heaven. I don't have to stand and debate. If I were to drop dead while I'm preaching to you right now, I know heaven's my home. I have no doubt about that. And by the way, I'd love to be doing this when he takes me home, amen? I'd rather not be sitting there watching Duck Dynasty with a remote control in my hand, switching channels, amen? But the thing of it is, is that God has given us an anchor to the soul. What is that anchor? Well, it's Christ Jesus. So be cautious because it's, it's easy to drift away, folks. The easiest thing to do is to drift away in your Christian life. Listen, some of you are in here, you've been saved for a long time. Some of you have been saved for a long time. Some of you come to church and you say, I've heard that passage preached multiple times. 
I've heard this said and that said and all that kind of stuff, and we shut down. We quit listening to God. We become dull of hearing. We're no longer listening to the Lord. I'm not talking about listening to pastor. I'm talking about listening to the scriptures, amen? Listening to the scriptures being preached. What happens is, is we begin to drift away, and we become that dull of hearing. We're no longer listening to God. And God always, always wants to do something for you. God wants to bless you. I believe that with all my heart. He wants to do things for you. But we've come to a place where I've been in church for so long enough, Pastor, I've heard it all. Well, if you have, why are you still here? God hadn't taken you home yet, so there must be something you need to learn. Amen? If he take you home, he's done. He's finished with your earthly ministry here with you. He's going to take you home. If he hadn't taken you home, what is it that he is trying to teach you right now? Well, he told us about an inheritance, didn't he? An inheritance that we have right now. We've inherited the Holy Spirit of God. Amen? Amen. Holy Spirit's in me. So then what now do I do? Well, I should have a confident hope, shouldn't I? I should have confidence in God that God has called me to serve him and to do something for his glory. Not for me to get patted on the back, but for his glory. And so not only did I have that confidence, he wants me to know that confidence is anchored in Christ Jesus. And it's heavenward. It's not on an earthly ministry. It's heavenward. And so I can be assured with great confidence of whom my faith is in. Amen? Amen. Started off with I'm persuaded, isn't he? Are we persuaded this morning? And if so, are you serving the Lord? In some capacity, are you serving God? Listen, God wants to prove this field. And he wants us to be fruitful for his glory. Fruitfulness is not always about what men can see. It's about what God's doing in your life. I want you to consider this morning. Am I being fruitful in my Christian life by being anchored to the one that's heavenward, Christ Jesus?